all this talk of what Conrad has gone through for the last year or so and uh, the things that we've tried to convey to him uh, and the things that we learn as we, as we work on those things together has kind of led me to, to just pause here for just a minute. There's going to be a different type of a sermon and talk for you, to you a little bit about pastoral care. Um, I was in Panera a couple weeks ago and ran into somebody that gone, went here a long time ago, 12, 14 years. He's been to two or three other churches since then. And he kind of walked over and said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure, sure, sit down, have a cup of coffee. And he started going on and on about how he wasn't being cared for at the church he was in. And I said, well, what's the problem? Well, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. And I said, so uh, have you gone and talked to them? He said, no, I'm talking to you. And I said, well, I don't know that that's going to do much good. I can't go talk to them. And I said, let me ask you this. When's the last time you were there? He goes, well, I haven't been there for eight or ten weeks. And let me tell you something else. Nobody's called me. I went, have you called anybody? No. So that got me thinking. You know, because that happens from time to time here. When we start talking about pastoral care, I, I, I bet I could come to each one of you and ask you what pastoral care was, and you would have a different idea. We all have different expectations. We all have different hopes. We all have different ambitions. So what is this thing called pastoral care? Well, you know, this is Warrington Bible Fellowship, and uh, we have a high view of the Word. There are other churches that have high views of the Word. We're not the only one. But we want to define everything we do by the Scriptures. You know, it's, it's kind of, for you folks that are visiting, it's kind of what you're seeing right now. Uh, you know, we got our children are with us. This is Family Sunday. Uh, so we believe in, in the family unit. We believe that the family is united with each other. Then you're united with us. So once a month, we have the children come in, and they're not just here to doodle on the back of the bulletin. They're helping us. They're in the worship team. They're taking the collection. A little while later, some of them will help us serve communion. So they're all valuable members. And we, we get that philosophy not from some good idea that somebody had, but from the Word that tells us that everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, who professes His name, is one with Him. And so these young kids that have made a profession of faith are one with us. So we want to approach the concept of pastoral care with the same careful examination of Scripture that we do everything else. So let me, let me tell you how how this all came about, and, and just my personal history. Some of you have heard this before. I came on in 2002. I was hired as the intern for uh, counseling and leadership development, and our pastor had a passion for counseling. He was great at it. Um, the problem he had is he had such a passion for it that he was doing a tremendous amount of it 30, 35 hours a week. And I didn't realize the implications of that until I got involved in it. But he's doing counseling 30, 35 hours a week. He's trying to be a senior pastor. He's trying to write a sermon. He's trying to stay up on his education and everything. And so they needed help. And they brought me on. Now, I had been working with him for 13 years on biblical counseling. He gave me a bunch of material by a guy named Jay Adams. Uh, who wrote a book called Competent to Counsel. And Jay is what they call the father of nuthetic counseling. It's the only type of counseling we can do here at a church, and it is scripture-based counseling. 
So he had been working with me for 13 years, and I, uh, it was a natural segue for me to come in and help him with counseling. Uh, the problem that occurred was that shortly after I started, he had some tremendous emotional difficulty and was out for two years. Uh, now, I watched the elders walk through that. They walked through it with tremendous grace and dignity and maintained his honor and maintained his, the respect for his family, and it was a very difficult situation. That's when, that's when I thought, boy, this place is something special. Look at what they're doing. They're just bending over backwards to take care of all of this that's going on. And during that time, I picked up on the extra load of counseling. It became apparent to me right away that I could not do the 35 hours of counseling he was doing and the 15 he had given me and still maintain my sanity. So we, I was talking to the elders, and, and uh, I was uh, having lunch with Todd Kirby. He's downstairs right now. He's on our elder board. He's a great elder. And we were having lunch in Centerville, and I said, well, you know, I, the whole church, the ministry of Warrington Bible Fellowship has been built on this counseling. What am I going to do? I can't do all that counseling. And he said something to me I'll never forget. It changed my life, and it changed the direction of the church. He said, John, you may not be a counselor. I said, what do you mean I'm not a counselor? I've been studying it for 13 years. He said, you know, your, pre your, your ministry might be teaching and preaching. And so you don't have to be a counselor just because your predecessor was. You need to pray about this. Well, I did. And the elders prayed about it with me. And we decided that it was okay to cut back on the counseling. Now, again, I want to put counseling in, in quotation marks because we don't do the type of counseling that the world does. We have people that can do that. I don't have a certificate for counseling. I am not a professional counselor. I'm not certified. I don't have formal education for it. But I know the Word of God. And so if somebody wants to come into my office, and any of you are welcome to do it, and say, I'm struggling in this area of my life. Can you help me? Well, we're going to sit down, and we're going to take a look at the Word of God. And anybody that's been in my office knows how this goes. We'll sit for a half hour or so, and we'll talk about what the area of difficulty is and everything, and we eventually get to the point to where we say, okay, well, I understand what the problem is. I'm interested in where your heart is. I'm not interested in the person you're struggling with. I'm interested in where your heart is, and we're going to bring the Word of God to bear on your struggle in life. We're not going to try to bring the Word of God to bear on someone else's struggle. We're going to do it on yours. So what the goal of our counseling brothers and sisters is to render a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ. I believe with, with, with that type of intimacy, with that type of of bringing the word to bear on the area of pain or difficulty that you can have a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ. And I believe it'll change your life. So as we began to reassess the role of counseling in Warrington Bible Fellowship and began moving towards the senior pastor's position being more of a teacher and a preacher, things started falling into place for us. We brought people on staff like Pastor Scott that had the same type of passion for teaching and preaching, had the same type of capability to, to, to minister in the area of the Word of God, and, and the elders were on board, and, and, and we all do that. We all do that to some extent. So that's how we got where we are, but we have to talk about this concept of pastoral counseling because for 15 years before I got here, the idea of pastoral counseling was counseling. 
The idea of pastoral care was counseling, that if you weren't counseling, you really weren't doing pastoral care. Well, we found out that's not the case. And I'll tell you how we found out. We found out by examining Scripture. So we're going to take a look at three passages today. They're going to, they're going to find out that there's a command for pastoral care, that there is a strategy for pastoral care, and that there is an example of what this looks like. So I don't have any overheads. I don't have any graphics. It's just you, me, and your Bible, okay? So I'd like you to, let's take a look at this command for pastoral care. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's towards the end of your book. Let's go back to Revelation, come back four or five books. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. And let me share this with you. Um, as much as we all have a, a, our own idea of what pastoral care is, Many of us have our own idea of what the elders do in the church, okay? Yeah, well, the elders should be doing this, you this, and this, and this, and so on and so forth. They're, they're, this is one of the very few, you can check me out on this later, this is one of the very few passages that give a command to the elders of the church. Watch what it says. So, starting with 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Peter said, So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he's saying, I get it. You're an elder. I'm an elder. I'm an apostle. I was there. I saw Christ suffer. We're all in this together. And I want to encourage you, uh, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, there's something better coming. And then, then he lays this command on him. He says, shepherd. This is an imperative. This is not a descriptor. This is a commandment. Shepherd the flock. Now, what does a shepherd do? We just, we just need to think about this for a second. Okay? Because some people think a shepherd comes over to your house once a month they have dinner. A shepherd leads the sheep. He leads the sheep to where the good food is. He helps them to avoid the bad food. He leads them to shelter. He leads them to protection. He watches over them. He chases away the predators. He kind of spreads his umbrella out over them. And that, that's kind of what we see in the next couple phrases. Uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, the ones you are assigned to, the ones that are assigned to you, exercising oversight. And this word here, the Greek word means oversight. It, it, the Jews would have seen a canopy, an umbrella, spread out over this particular flock. So we're talking about a supervisory position. We're talking about oversight. We're not talking about micromanaging. We're not talking about getting down into all the details, finding out where the copy paper comes from and, and you know, where are the parking spaces and, and things like that. But there's, a, there's the, the concept of having the big picture, of seeing everything that's going on in the congregation. Now, we see this with our elder board, uh, for those of you who, who get the little cards where we pray every week, it, that's the type of oversight we're talking about. We're talking about establishing doctrine, establishing the theology of the church, establishing the direction of the church, and being responsible for the spiritual health of the congregation. And I'm going to tell you something. Our, our elders take this seriously. They grieve over your troubles. They laugh over your joy. And they're, do, they're there to do this not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering, so we're not talking about control freaks here. We're not talking about people that are to exercise their authority and make sure that you understand who's in charge and so on and so forth. They're not domineering over those in charge, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I want you to hold on to that for a second because, again, many of us have different ideas about what that example looks like. So, they're charged with overseeing. They're charged with, with uh, shepherding the flock. And if they do that, in verse 4 it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We'll partake in the kingdom to come. This is not some special reward. This is a reward that all regenerated, saved people get. So elders and pastors are commanded to shepherd, to, to lead, and to oversee, to supervise. So that's the commandment. Now, how do, we, how do we walk that out? What does that look like if we're going to follow a biblical mandate? What does that look like? So th- this is what the strategy for pastoral care is. In other words, how do we walk out this commandment? I'd like you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. starting with verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, comma. Now, stop right there for a second, because there's all kinds of debates over where these apostles and prophets are. And some people think they're here today, some people think they're not, and we get into the minutiae of what these words mean and how they apply to the body. But I think when we start doing that, we miss the idea of what Paul's trying to tell us. So, just to make this a bit more contemporary, I think Paul would want us to read this. And he gave the staff. He gave the people in charge of the day-to-day operation of the church. He gave the leaders of the church, the administrators of the church, to do something. So what are they called to do? Out of all the things that could run through your head right now, on what the staff, what Scott and I, Diane, and the elders and the deacons are called to do, watch this. They gave them to, verse 12, to equip Now, this is a big word, and it means the process of preparing, the process of making the flock ready to equip the saints, the flock, for what? Well, to raise their kids, to, to, I mean, we can fill in the blank here with anything we want, but here's what Paul says, the the saints for the work of of the ministry. That's the first priority of the entire body is the work of the ministry. And, and that, that just, that's got, it's pregnant with possibility, but what it's talking about is ministering to each other, brothers and sisters. You'll see this in a little bit. Ministering to each other and ministering beyond the walls of the church. So the staff is here to equip the, the congregation for the work of the ministry. To be able to, to reach out to each other, to be able to reach out to the lost. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. This is where the lost come in. It's not just to encourage ourselves. It's not just to nurture ourselves. It's to build up the body of Christ and add to the kingdom. Part of the building up process is bringing people into the kingdom. 
How long? Well, until we, in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that's a mouthful. And you can spend a couple hours trying to figure that out and diagram it. But here's what it means. I mean, if I could paraphrase for you, what he's saying is our strategy is to equip and, and prepare the saints until they have unity with each other, until they have unity with Christ. And to go back to the whole counseling metaphor, until the entire congregation has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ, realizes the reality of who he is, the magnitude of the sacrifice that he's made, the, the complete forgiveness of our sins, and the union with him and union with each other. We work to bring people face-to-face with Christ and to experience the fullness of his presence. So there's the command, and there's the strategy. How do we do this? How do we walk it out? Let's take an example. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Acts, chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Talking about the new church. They're relatively small. They're trying to find their way. They don't have a formal structure yet other than they have elders, usually the apostles uh, supervising the church. But the church is growing, and they're running into some growing pains. So verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number that's all the followers, a complaint by the Hellenists arose among the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in a daily distribution. Let me tell you what was happening. The church was diverse. It was ethnically diverse. Uh, there, were, there were Gentiles. There were Jews in the church. Um, there, a hierarchy had started developing that probably shouldn't have been there. And so some of the, some of the Hellenists some of the Gentiles, some of the Greeks, went to the elders of the church and said, we got a problem. The elders said, what's the problem? They said, our people aren't getting fed. And the elders were like, uh, what are we doing about it? Well, nobody had a plan. So the implication was that the elders should be arranging to feed these people that weren't getting fed. Now, And that's not a bad implication. There's nothing wrong with that. It is their responsibility. But the elders had been given other directives by the Word of God as to what they should do. So here's what happened. And the twelve, now these are the apostles, these are the elders, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. Now, what they did was they said, get everybody in the congregation together. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to take care of this task of making sure that everybody has a place at the meal and nobody gets slighted. So they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here we see the very first part of the example that the elders are supposed to set for the congregation. They're supposed to be preachers of the word of God. They're not the ones that serve the tables. They said, there's too many. And the reality they were running into is if they had tried to do this task that would require uh, them making sure everybody got 
got fed, they wouldn't have time to preach the Word of God. So they said, here's our priority, given us by God, passed, on by, passed down by the apostles. We are to be preachers of the Word. And, what, and the message to the congregation was, was, you have to take care of this. You, as you, we prepare you to minister to each other, can do this. And we'll give you structure and authority to do it. Here's what happens. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now we look at that and we go, you know, a lot of people think this is when they, they establish the office of deacon. So it would be easy to go, oh, the deacons do that. So I don't, I, all I need to do is get fed. I'll just sit down and one of the deacons will bring me a plate and sit in front of it. Okay, but it is picked out from among you, from among yourselves. And as the church continues to grow, there are more and more people that are going to serve in this capacity. So we've got to be careful that we don't misconstrue what's happening here. So while, while that is being taken care of by the people in the congregation themselves, the elders say, and, and we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Here's the other two parts of the example. The first example is they're going to preach the word. The second example is that the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, the pastors and the elders, are going to pray and are going to minister the word. Now, the preaching has to do with the corporate approach to this. The ministry of the word is more of an individual thing. We're going to minister the word to people individually. We're going to reach into their lives, and we're going to help them have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. And here, here was a response to the congregation. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, and the proselyte of Antioch. So these they set before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. And here's the result of everybody working together in their assigned roles. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the example that the leaders are to set, regardless of everything we've been told and everything we've been taught by the world and by people who have church growth plans and church development plans and everything. The example that the leaders are supposed to set for the congregation is to be preaching and in prayer and in ministry of the Word. Those are the only requirements put on them. You know, I realize some folks will have different expectations and that, that's reasonable. When I came into the ministry, just like Conrad was explaining to us, I realized that the expectations upon me were far beyond anything I could possibly accomplish. Uh, I mean, people thought I should be in every classroom, I should be teaching and preaching every week, that I should be doing this 35 hours of counseling, um, and, and then, but I should be in the schools, and, and, you know, I started adding up, and I'm thinking, we're looking at 150, 170 hours a week. And, you know, how do we do that? And so I had to back up and, 
when Todd told me that I didn't necessarily have to be a counselor, I had to do some soul searching, but I also had to search, search the scriptures. Say, what am I called to do? Well, I'm called to be a preacher and a teacher and a minister of the word. And, well, how can I be a minister of the word? Well, that, you know, that always meant counseling to me. And, and I got to tell you something. Those of us who do that type of counseling that we're talking about, do it out of love because we love you guys. And I, I, don't, I don't think there's any greater privilege, any greater honor that I've ever had than to be invited into somebody's life at that level when, when the struggle's there. And I, I very quickly came to the understanding, just as each of the elders have, is that we don't have answers for that. People will sit in front of us and go, well, why don't you just tell me what this is? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, I've never been in that position. I've never had to go through that. Well, let's see what the Word of God has to say. Well, the Word of God doesn't address my particular situation. Well, yes, it does. Because the Word of God has a lot to say about how we relate to each other interpersonally. And how we're supposed to treat each other. I mean, the Word of God is filled with it. The Word of God starts with the relationship that's in the Trinity. And it goes into our relationships with all the people around us. So the Word of God addresses all this so that we won't have to. So as leaders, our call is to shape and equip the flock by using Scripture. And that's why the elders have to be able to teach. And so you could look around the church right now and say, well, not all the elders are teaching. I've got to tell you something. I've been in the classroom with every one of our elders, every one of them. I, I sat in the classroom with Richard Ashby uh, for a year, we covered a counseling class, and we covered uh, uh, Paul Miller's uh, A Praying Life together. So, uh, so Richard can teach. They're not all teaching right now because they have lives as well. They are as busy as we are. They have families that they have to spend time with. Uh, so we rotate the teaching. Right now, uh, Doug Sachs is downstairs teaching uh, Zachariah with us. So I've watched all these men teach. I've seen them do it. I've been blessed by their teaching. And I've watched all of them counsel as well. It's a major part of what Scott and I do, is sit down and do this, this neuthetic, this scriptural counseling that we do. So they're filling those positions. And they've learned to handle the Word of God in such a way that it hopefully brings people face to face with Christ. So I've got to be honest with you about another thing. Not everybody's looking for that. You know what? That's okay. Because if, if somebody's looking for professional counseling, we have people we can send to. We have one sitting right here. John. We've got, you know, there's, there's, there's a counselor in Manassas. There's another one up here. We, we've got professional counselors that can provide professional counseling and, and give you professional paths to follow and uh, a way to healing. That's good. We are more than happy. Uh, I, we are absolutely thrilled that if any of you have a problem and you're struggling, we are more than, than, than honored to be able to spend time with you and direct you to the Word of God. But not everybody's looking for that either. My friend at Panera wasn't looking for that. And recently, we've had a couple people leave the church. And one of them has come back. And he's spoken to some of you. And the things he said has been very divisive. 
accusations have been thrown. And I've got to be honest with you. Uh, we've been accused of asking him to leave. We haven't. We haven't asked anybody to leave this church since 2010. And that was over a, an unrepentant disciplinary sin rule. So my suggestion to you is, see, I had to figure out how to respond to my friend at Panera because he's telling me all these bad things about the leaders in his church. And from time to time, we have people that do that about us. We've had staff members do it. You know, it's just part of church life. It happens. And so we try not to respond to that in a fleshly manner. We try to respond in a godly manner. This is something the elders are exemplary at. At responding with grace and mercy. And sometimes they've got to rein me in because my emotions will get a hold of me. See, I wanted to tell my friend, you had a lot of nerve not going for eight or ten weeks and then complaining that nobody called you. Have you called anybody? But that wouldn't have been polite. I wanted to tell my friend, you know, are you praying for these people? But that might have been slightly accusatory. So what I said was something that I've been taught by the elders to say. I said, have you gone and spoken directly to them? He said, no, I'm not going to. I said, well, then our conversation is bordering on gossip, and I refuse to engage in this conversation. If you can't talk to them, don't bring it to me. Your, your, your problem is with them, and they are godly people. I know them. I know those elders, and they'll work it out in a godly fashion. And I would hope, as we go forward, that that would be the same response we would get to somebody that would come in an accusatory fashion, not just about the leaders in the church, but about other people in the church as well. That's gossip. We've been counseling long enough, Scott, to know that in every, every, every case, when there's tension between two people, there are two sides to the story. And if you're hearing just one side, you're going to be leaning one way or the other. And the only way to do that is face-to-face with each other and face-to-face with Jesus Christ. We love you guys. We love you guys. And, and I, I speak for Scott and each of the elders. We have devoted our lives to you. And you can bring anything to us and we will pray with you we will cry with you we will we will express joy with you when you're delivered from these things but you got to come to us Uh, so we have time for you for you let's pray father we thank you for the clarity of your word again we thank you for the incredible congregation that you've gathered here Father, I thank you for each of the souls sitting here, for those that are not with us today. Uh, Father, I thank you for their heart for your word, their passion for your people. Father, we thank you for those that have gone on. We pray blessing upon them. We pray your mercy and your grace upon them. We pray healing upon them for their hurting too. We pray, Father, that amidst all of their searching, Lord, that they would find you that they would have that face-to-face encounter with you that is so healing and so restorative, Father, and so renewing. We pray, Father, you give us wisdom and discernment as we go forward. Now we pray, Father, as we prepare our hearts to come to your communion table 
Lord, that your spirit would rest upon us. He would speak to us, Father. Guide us through this process and counsel us, Father, as we come into your presence in a very special way as a church family. In Jesus' name we pray.